0: We're going to read God's Word from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 to 24. Let us hear God's Word. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own turn Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. This is God's word to our hearts today. Who hopes for something worse to happen in your life? Have you ever known anybody who who wants something worse to happen? Very few, unless you're a kind of a sadist and just enjoy pain or whatever. No child gets up up for school and says, I hope I get loads of homework today. Have you ever heard once a child, have you ever said that? No adult hopes to get sick. No one says, I hope I get unemployed. And have no work. No one hopes for something worse. If you hope for something. It's because you hope for something better. And if you have a great hope. It's because you are already in a bad place. And therefore you hope for a better day. That you'll not be in this bad place any longer. We're going to read the opening words of the letter Uh, from 1 Peter in a moment Peter was written as a a letter was written to um, a scattered community of worshipping Christians in different parts of the Roman Empire and clearly they are facing huge persecution we're not exactly sure when 1 Peter was written but many of us um, place it under the persecution that happened under the Emperor Nero Nero was a, a terrible uh, Roman Empire emperor uh, in about 60 AD. And uh, you've heard about uh, Nero um, twiddling his thumbs as, as Rome burned. Um, Nero had wanted to build himself an even bigger palace uh, in Rome than the already big palace he had. But the Senate said, no, we spent enough money on you you know, we don't want to cause riots in the city. He wasn't very happy. And then a fire breaks out in Rome, and it devastates almost eight-tenths of the city. A huge fire raged through Rome, and it just so happened that the fire seemed to originate and certainly obliterate the whole area where Nero had wanted to build his new palace. And the people in Rome kind of think, what a coincidence. The Senate says no, a fire breaks out, and then Nero has this land cleared, ready for, to build his new palace, because nobody's living there a- anymore. And so it seems that to divert suspicion, Nero blamed the Christians uh, in Rome. He had them arrested and burned to death, and many continued to try and live in Rome, but many scattered through different parts of the empire just for a place to to do their trade, to bring up their families in peace. First Peter is written to scattered church-facing persecution. People are suspicious of these Christians. They believe that they are a threat to the stability of the empire because they don't worship Caesar as Lord. They worship Jesus as Lord, and therefore they, they think that they are troublemakers. Peter wants to encourage his little Christian community that he oversees. What is he going to say to give them strength? What will he write to encourage these small worshipping communities? So, taking pen in hand, he writes this to them Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why should God be given praise? He goes on, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, I want to talk about what it means to have a living hope. These words taken from 1 Peter. And what is a living hope? A living hope enables confidence in the future. A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade The hope is in what? Is in the inheritance. What is the inheritance? It's heaven. It's eternal life. It's resurrected life. New bodies that will no longer get sick or or die. Um, It's bodies for God's new world. That is the living hope that we are looking forward to. And how does it come? It comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoiler faith that is kept in heaven for you. A living hope that enables confidence in the future. How do we have a living hope? How do living hopes work in our lives? I want you to imagine that you live in Ireland 100, 150 years ago. There's no, there's no support network from the, the government. There's no national health service. There's no uh, unemployment benefit. You're struggling financially. You're really struggling to, va- to provide food and clothes and basic necessities for your family. Uh, your children are sick. You can't afford the medicine. Uh, you're broke The children have holes in their shoes, tattered clothes. You don't have any money to repair them or to buy them them something else. Uh, You're so worried by how bad life has become that you're depressed, you're worried, you're anxious, you're afraid of the future. You're totally broken. And as a man, as the leader of your family, you feel this great load of responsibility of what your family are going through and what has come upon them. And then through the post A person comes into your life and you open this letter and inside you find a check. And the person who's written, written, wrote the check is a billionaire, a millionaire, a woman, unbelievably rich. And she's written a check for a million pounds. And there are no strings attached. It's made out in your name, a million pounds. This will help everything that you're going through. How do you react as you hold that check in your hand? With joy. I'm sure you'll dance up and down. Uh, you, you will, maybe you'll say, I'm a millionaire. My, our financial problems are over. You will hug your wife and your children and you'll give praise to God. God has been so good. This is great. And yet all you have is a little piece of paper. All you have is a little piece of paper that has no power in itself. It's not magical. So how can this little piece of paper bring such joy into your life that you feel happy in a way that you have never felt happy in years? Why do you feel so different? Because you know that the person who has signed the check is totally trustworthy and is incredibly rich and is incredibly generous. And you know that this piece of paper represents the promise that when you get to the bank and you give it to the teller, you will receive what is stated on the cheque, a million pounds. So you're on your way to the bank, carrying this little piece of paper. You're singing hymns, uh, songs of praise to God. You're praying. You're so poor you can't even get the bus. Um, You're walking. Suddenly the world has color again. Your life has possibilities. You're dreaming of what you will do with the money once it's cashed. Your great burden that you've been carrying for years is lifted. You're on your way to the bank still wearing the old worn out uh, clothes that you wore yesterday. Nothing has really changed in your life The the creditors are still there. Your bank account is still zero. It's raining and you're getting wet. Uh, But you don't care suddenly about the hardships that you're going through and the difficulties you encounter on the way to the bank. Because the check in your hand is the promise that the obstacles and struggles that you are facing on the way to the bank are worth it. Because of what you will gain when you arrive This is how a living hope works in your life. So how does Jesus' resurrection bring us confidence in the future? We live in a world where death reigns. Where people still get sick. Where we're still anxious and worried. uh, The pressures of life are, are still there. And into this broken world, Jesus is risen. And by his resurrection, Jesus has written into every heart the promise of resurrection if they have faith in him as their Lord and Savior. What do we read in 1 Corinthians 15? Paul is answering many of the problems in the Corinthian church. And into that discussion, this is what he says in verse 20. But but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. In an agricultural farming world, when you plant your crop, um, the f- first fruit to appear on any of, th- of what you have planted is called the first fruits. And certainly in, under Jewish law, you were to give the first fruits in, in worship to, to God at harvest time. And the first fruit was a sign that the rest of the crop is going to follow. That this fruit is representative of the whole fruit uh, harvest coming in and so the first fruits were was what was the first um sign of whatever you were growing um and the harvest that you were looking forward to and paul takes his agricultural word word and says that because jesus is risen from the dead he is the first fruit the sign of the resurrection of the righteous that will be coming the harvest completed And so he is a sign of what is coming. Jesus, by his resurrection, has been raised from death. And his resurrection is the promise that the resurrection of those who have fallen asleep, which is another word for died, will follow. A living hope enables confidence in the future. How do living hopes work in our lives You see that with the idea of a check. How does Jesus' resurrection bring confidence in the future? Because he is risen. He he is a sign of of what is going to happen to us uh, as well. So I want to ask a question what is your greatest hope? If you had one thing in life uh, to have, what would you choose? Is it not to live forever? If you ask for great wealth, but you come to the end of your life and death is round the corner, would you not regret your choice for wealth or fame? Because when you get to the end of the life, you realise how quickly life passes you by and how little opportunities you have for many of the things that you, you dreamt about doing. But if you can live forever, you get the opportunity to be the kind of person That you were made to be. And what if the promised eternal life. Is a place where the brokenness of this world is gone. And there is no more tears and sadness and sicknesses. As you read in Revelation chapter 22. If you had one wish that God would grant you. And you're wise. You would not choose success in this life. But life that is unending. In a new world. Jesus by his resurrection. Proclaims. Just this hope in every human heart. As John's gospel says in their great words of hope at any funeral service, those who believe in me, even though they die, yet shall they live. And no one who has faith in me shall ever die. In Jesus, hope has come into this world by his resurrection from the death. And we are a community every Sunday who celebrate this living hope of eternal life in God's new world. That's why we worship on a Sunday. It's a resurrection day. And every Sunday we meet, we're proclaiming resurrection life. Resurrection has touched our world, and every Sunday we are people worshipping the hope of the God of hope who has touched our lives because Jesus is resurrection. Resurrected, a living hope enables confidence in the future. But secondly, it enables joy in the present. How does Jesus' resurrection 2,000 years ago, one man 2,000 years ago, reach my heart and produce hope in my heart today and reach your heart and produce hope in your heart today? Well, firstly, the testimony that Jesus rose from the dead is, is a declaration to me that Jesus is alive both now and forevermore, and that he is here right now, the 7th of July, 2019, in this church, amongst us, that he's with me in, this, in the week ahead. And so our prayer is always, Lord Jesus, I ask you to make your presence, your living presence known to me now, or every morning that you wake up as you go to worship and to enjoy the day. Lord, make your presence known to me. But how do you know it's a hopeful presence? Because of the cross. Romans chapter 8. If God, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us, or what can be against us in our lives? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. A living hope that enables joy in the presence. A 2,000-year-old resurrection reaches my heart and births hope because it tells me that Jesus bore my sins on the cross, that God is for me and not against me, and this Jesus who loved me and gave himself for me is alive and present and caring at every moment of my life and your life even today. Just as the event of the millionaire writing the check, and in that moment, the promise of of what is ahead fills me with joy even now. What is ahead, when I cash it at the bank, it reaches back into my life so that as I'm making my journey towards the bank, I am already feeling the joy of what is ahead of me. And so the event of Jesus' resurrection 2,000 years ago declares to me today that I too will be raised one day in the future. That that future reality, through faith in Jesus, reaches back into my life here on this day and fills me with the joy of what is coming. That no matter how bad this life becomes, there is a glorious day ahead. And the joy of that day fills me with joy even today. It is as if Jesus has written the check on every believing heart. I declare that on the day of resurrection you will be raised to life eternal because of your faith in my death for you on the cross. And because of that declaration, because of that promise, I'm filled with joy even today. A living hope. Not only enables you to have confidence in the future, but enables you to know joy in the present. Finally, will you preserve, persevere in this hope? You won't give it up, will you? You'll not get fed up coming to church to worship resurrection hope. Who on their way to the bank with the million pound check in their pocket gets to a point where they say I've had enough of this walking. I think I'll just go back home and get a cup of tea and forget about this journey. Or maybe leave it to another time. You go back to your debts and to your children that are sick because you can't be bothered making the effort to make your way all the way to the bank which is the answer to all the problems that you need. Or maybe you get sidetracked on that journey to the bank into working for someone for 10 pound a day because you can't be bothered with the extra hassle of walking to the bank. And yet you have a million pound check in your pocket. And yet you get satisfied with something that is so little compared to what is ahead of you. Or maybe you rip up the check and you say, I don't need anybody's help. I'll do it my way. I got myself into this mess and I'll get myself out of it. And so in your pride, you continue to live with the debts and the worries of your problems because you don't want to receive mercy from a kind and generous donor. And so in Balamuni, many people out there aren't at worship because they have no need for God in their lives. They have no need for mercy and hope. They're happy doing other things, but they have satisfied themselves with such lesser joys than the hope that we celebrate here today. Why do people reject this hope? Fundamentally because the desires of their heart are elsewhere. What makes you you? you you what is the root from which the flower of your individuality grows it's not your actions it's not your thoughts or your ideas it's your desires we are most basically what we crave what we long for more than anything else the ideas that we have the principles that we live by justify the cravings of our heart The primal thing that makes you you is your yearning and your longing. What you hunger for. Why do people not persevere? Why do people give up on Jesus, on worship, on coming to church, on being part of the church family? Because other little desires have captured their heart. Jesus says no one can serve two masters. In life you cannot hold on to two hopes side by side together. One hope will determine all the other hopes. The question is, which hope have you made supreme which justifies every other hope? For some people, golf on a Sunday is supreme. And that's the one that church fits into under that, for example, or something else. Uh, But if the worship of God and the glory of his name is supreme in your heart, then you fill in your other hopes under that main hope. Will it be Jesus and the hope that he alone can bring? If it's our desires, and Jesus is in the business of changing the desires of your heart so that God is first, then what happens in your life is what is called a new birth. Something new comes into being. Jesus, John, Paul, and Peter call it a new birth. Theologians call it regeneration. The reason Peter says we are born again into a living hope is because people no longer pin their hopes, their desires, and longings on the things of this world, but instead pin their hopes and desires on God and his coming world, and a new person is born out of the transfer of what that primary hope is they have been born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In a world of suffering and hunger and oppression, Jesus comes and proclaims the reign of God. And by his resurrection, he reveals that this future reality has already broken in. And so if you have this hope, this greatest hope, this living hope, this one hope that is the true hope in every human heart, you'll persevere you want to lose it because it will bring you joy in which you live day by day do you have this living hope a living hope that brings joy that makes possessions and other things secondary that robs them of their power and the hold their hold over us because you have the one hope that truly heals everything else if this hope is living in you you will not want to lose it No one accidentally gets into heaven. Heaven is where God reigns and Jesus is building a home that he prepares a place for us. Nobody arrives and knocks at the door and expects lodging because it thinks that you're big enough to uh, have a room for me. It's Jesus' home that is our inheritance because we are his disciples. If this hope is living, you persevere as his disciples to gain this inheritance kept in heaven for you. In Uganda, during Idi Amin's dreadful days, a British missionary society wrote to one of its congregations and asked, What can we send you? We hear about the persecution that you're going through as believers. You're being persecuted, your archbishop has been martyred. What can we send you? And the reply came back not food, not medicine, but 250 clerical callers. You must understand, they said, when our people are being rounded up to be shot, they must be able to see their ministers dying fearlessly with the hope of heaven in their hearts. In my first year in Malawi, way back in the year 2000, I was asked to join the denomination's youth gathering away up in the top corner of Malawi in a place called Chutipa. The churches there are bordered by Tanzania on, on one side and Zambia on the other. And sometimes the offering on a Sunday in, in that church in the corner of Malawi, would, the, the offering would be in three different currencies, depending on where, which border they had come across. Uh, there was no physical border. It was just there on paper. I was asked to speak about Christian hope. And I told this illustration of the check, which I've always found helpful in trying to illustrate how the hope of something in the future reaches back to you in the present. So I told the story and then I closed by saying, friends, we are all on our way to the bank because our own resurrection day is coming. We carry the check of salvation, the promise that when that day comes, God will transform our lowly existence into a glorious, wonderful new life. But we struggle on because we know that what we will receive will be worth it all. Well, the place erupted into applause and clapping and hallelujahs and the young people stood up and I was taken aback because I'd never had such spontaneous, never had spontaneous applause uh, to my, any sermon. I wasn't that good. And it wasn't good that day. But the message of Jesus was to these young hearts. You see, for me up to that point, hope was something in my mind, something that we believed in. That Jesus, heaven's coming. But to be truthful, my heart was getting as much out of this earthly journey and enjoyment out of life. It had not gripped my soul as my supreme hope now. But it was for these young people. They felt death monthly in their communities. They knew the toll of sickness and the financial struggles to buy medicine. The worry of harvest time. They knew what it was like to go hungry. They experienced a world where the wealthy had power. And those who did not have wealth did have not much power or opportunity. Come Lord, come Maranatha. Features in the prayers of such communities. This world could be cruel. It was broken. And yet there was much rejoicing and praise to God daily because it was centered in the fact that the cross declares that God is for us. The empty tomb that Jesus was risen and through faith in him one day we too would be raised and enjoy eternal life. This is our hope. I pray it's a living hope in your heart today if you have problems that are are a burden to your heart today there are those here who can pray with you today or in this week ahead allow us to be used by God to bring joy and peace to your life that we can God can use us to bring this living hope into any situation that you're going through today. As we pray, just spend a little time in quietness, thinking about your life, your hopes, your dreams, your fears, but ultimately, what really is this journey of life about? Let us pray. Father, we find our significance, our identity, our security and many things. Teach us, Lord, that the one that our hearts long for is our relationship with you, who we are as your children, and the hope that you've given to those who claim you as their king, Our Heavenly Father thank you that whatever we are going through today can become a new beginning of your work in our hearts where our weaknesses are clothed in your strength where our brokenness is healed by your grace where our emptiness can be filled with the living hope that comes to us because Jesus is risen and is alive both now and forevermore. Thank you that the cross declares that you love each person and you care for every person. Help us to respond in faith to persevere in this life's journey that we may worship you with all our heart, soul, mind and strength and give you the glory for the great God that you are. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.